Hello and welcome back to the What The Fork Sunland Preview Podcast. What a difference a week makes, eh? Uh, whilst many of us thought our next two games against Blackpool and Hull would be defining ones in our season, it appears that back-to-back defeats against Charlton and Wigan were actually the defining moments in our season as we've all but ended our automatic promotion hopes as we head into the next two games. However, we are Sunland fans. We don't really have much time to grumble. We're used to adversity. So we've been here many times before, and we're going to be looking to pick ourselves up as the lads head to the seaside for a tough away game at Blackpool. And to join me to discuss the game, today is my friend and host of the third tier podcast, Tom Main. How are you, mate? You okay? Yeah, I'm very well. How are you? I've been better. I've been a lot better. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, like I say, what a difference a week makes, eh? I think we'll probably start straight from the off. Um, had it been last week, I think this would have been a game between the two form sides in the league. And I think people would have really looked at it and it would have been probably pivotable, uh, pivotable, pivotal, uh, pivotal to teams like Peterborough and Hull and, and us. Um, as it is, you know, as I noted earlier in the, in the intro, our form's kind of fallen to the floor in the last five or six days. Whilst you haven't lost since February the 6th, you've actually had two disappointing results in the last week as well. You got pegged back by Lincoln and then you drew it home to, to Accrington. So um, I'm sorry to start on this one, but what have you made of the last two games? Yeah, the Lincoln one for me was was clearly angry, um, or, or should I say disappointed, because we had a two-goal lead and it's, it's unlike Blackpool to, to concede at the moment and to concede two poor goals in the way we did. Uh, just put a bit of taste in my mouth. Um, I think we we had easily three or four clear cut chances at two nil um, to to see off the game, and it just wasn't meant to be. But credit credit to Lincoln. I mean that they've been you know blasted from COVID, and yes, they have a two week break, but they were missing some key players, and you know they they didn't complain about it. And Appleton said he's going to use his squad, and he did. Um, you know, and the second goal, you know, I, I it's probably. Um, slow to react to the pass, but at the same time, it's, it's a neat finish to, to to seal it. And I was in the end, sort of happy to come away with the point. But last night was just a dogged affair, and Accrington sort of put all their men behind the ball, and we just couldn't break them down. We had two clear cut chances to score, and we didn't take it. And then we go and save a penalty literally in the last few minutes. So you come away thinking that point is a decent result in the end. One of those, and I don't know whether Sunderland fans would agree with me here, but it's almost like last week I was dead confident because we were totally in form and I thought we were going to win the league and that was it, we we're going to get out of it. And then almost now looking back, I'm like, oh, I wish we'd hit that run of form a little bit sooner. So if we did end up in the playoffs, that we go in as the form team, does it worry you ever so slightly that you've gone from being, you know, probably the second most informed team or currently the most informed team being the, the longest unbeaten run and you put in those two performances and one of them against potentially someone you come up against the playoffs or is that putting too much of an onus on, on two results that in the, the long run probably won't affect your season that much? I've, I've been quite realistic all season. If you think about our first, um, I think we won one of our first nine games and we were, we were bottom four and we were begging Critchley potentially to, if it didn't change to go, but you think about where we are with, with a couple of games in hand. I'm, I'm not overly fussed at the moment. Last night was, was frustrating because if we hit the post as well, and if Kai Kai scores and then Garbutt scores, you know, we, we win that game and we're all positive again. So to save that penalty and it's, it's put me when I, when I woke up in a, in a better mood you know, saying we could have lost that unbeaten record when I could have been talking to you a bit frustrated that we, you know, we lost that game. But if you think about it, we're a hard side to beat. 
we create a lot of chances and we're just taking each game as it comes. I think Saturday will be a huge test to us, but I enjoy playing the bigger teams more. So not worried at the moment. I mean, if we draw or lose Saturday and then maybe don't pick up a win on Tuesday, then you, you start to think, are we going to make playoffs? But it's in our hands still. And while it's in our hands, I still trust Blackpool to do it. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of people, especially in the Sunderland fan base, before obviously the past two results looked at the Blackpool home and away games as probably the, the biggest test that we have. Lo and behold, Sunderland would find Wigan would be the, the test. We're more likely to go and win our next two games and you know be kicking ourselves that we had those last two results. But I think, to be fair, before that, there was a reason that a lot of people were looking at the Blackpool games. I think you know on paper, you went to Portsmouth, Charlton, MK Dons, Oxford, won all them, comfortably beat Peterborough, comfortably beat Gillingham at home. They're all good sides. Um, Portsmouth obviously did that, that spell with Jacket, but Charlton showing they're a good side. MK Dons knocked the ball about well. Oxford had a great run. Peterborough looked like they're going to get promoted. Gillingham could get in the playoffs. So it's not like you've just beaten teams in and around the bottom. So how good has it been sort of watching Blackpool in recent months, taking those two sort of recent results aside? Yeah, I mean, like I said, the Lincoln game, we played exceptionally well. And if you see our second goal, it's it's unbelievable. Yates literally flicks it over the back of his head without looking and Cargo finishes from outside of the box. And we just played some silky stuff. It's just just bad, bad defending, which is unlike us. But it's been amazing. I think Gritchley's message is also we've had, um, we had Calderwood come in. And since Calderwood come in, he's worked well with Gritchley and, and the management team to sort of give us a, a bit of League One understanding and not be sort of vulnerable to teams like Gillingham, etc., where we sort of struggle to 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 be men against, if that makes sense. But we've got a completely different squad now, and it's just what's been impressive this season is Blackpool's had nine centre backs pairings, um, and we don't concede many goals. Um, so everyone's sort of done a job. We've had a left back at centre back in Ollie Turton. Um, sorry, right back, centre-back in Ollie Turton. And we've had husband um, as a left-back at centre-back as well. And Ballard's come in and come out. And then Gretson's been injured and come in and come out. And we've had our fourth-choice centre-back come in and defend really well. But ultimately, it's it's players like Jerry Yates, Sully Kaikai in the last couple of months. Embleton's been a big help um, that have really sort of given us that edge of your seat stuff, so to speak, or edge of the sofa stuff, so to speak. So it's been really nice to to see us pass the ball about and, and score some of the best goals we've scored for a very long time, um, especially against Gillingham. We, you know, really good team goal and guy guy hits from outside or just inside the area. And, you know, we're thinking, you know, we can beat anyone on our day. It's football at the end of the day. I know Sunderland are going to think differently because the size of your club and, and your expectations and your manager's really decent, et cetera. But um, football for me now, as I'm getting a little bit older, I'm starting to, come to terms with poor performances and and not letting it ruin sort of my day and I used to get really wound up for the rest of the week as, as probably you are at the moment but I take that draw last night and and we focus on another important home match on Saturday and hopefully we can you know turn it into a win um I know you won't be hoping that but yeah it, it's going to be a very interesting match it's a funny one it's like I think there's a lot of people although it's not completely over it's uh, being a Sunderland fan, I think when things start turning sour, we do feel like that. And, but I think it's quite a big game for wanting to go into the playoffs. I mean, at the moment, I think we would face Portsmouth, which, if I'm honest, I fancy our chances against. Um, although they are going to be a different proposition under under Cowley. But it, it's a tough set of teams in the playoffs. We're not talking, you know, a couple of teams. You'd be like, well, I fancy us against them. That'd be all right. Every team's going to be a tough game. So I think as much as it's not about automatic promotion, maybe on on Saturday and I'm sure Sunderland's team won't be thinking that but I think the fans are I think both sides will want to show themselves 
um, as potentially the team that could win the playoffs and it's two big games to kind of showcase that really. Um, it would be remiss of me to miss it out completely. I know we can't play on Saturday and I know we're meant to be previewing the game. So in a sense, there's no point in speaking about him, but Elliot Embleton, <clears throat> Elliot Embleton even, has been someone who we haven't really seen that much of at Sunderland or as much as we would expect. He's been very highly rated. He's struggled with injuries. He's kind of got in the team with the Jack Ross, then got an injury and fell out. Then Parkinson comes in and he's still got that injury. And then Johnson comes in, plays him a little bit, but then... Ideally, for him, he wants to be playing games at that age. He's gone to Blackpool. He's, he's done really well from what we can see, but I always say you, you cannot really judge how a player does or a team does until you watch them week in, week out. You do that. So for the Sunderland fans interested, he looks like it's going to be part of our squad, be it Championship or League One. How much of a role has Elliot Embleton played in your recent performances and how's he been in general? Yeah, he got his first start against Ipswich, which was our last defeat. Um, and... <sighs> Clearly, he was a match fit, um, so he played a lot of the match, and we played abysmally. And he was a part of probably six or seven changes at the time. I remember Ipswich being really poor at the time, and I think we can go into that game, and we need to start picking up our season. Lo and behold, it was the catalyst for us to kick on. But um, he he was the sort of player that kept picking up the ball to have shots, um, look for passes, and and just try to create something. So I didn't judge him on that game because we 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 were rubbish, to be honest with you, but. From there, you thought, right, he's clearly got some attack and presence and he wants to be creative with the ball and not be sort of passed backwards into the side. So he's really come alive since Burton in the second half when Burton went on that mad run, I think eight away wins in a row. And we were quite worried about the game in the end. We eventually played them after two postponements and, you know, they went one new up at half time, and then Embleton comes on and he, and he, and he just something happened we started playing the ball on the floor he was making space for Kai 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 came alive and and those two just started working off each other and we, we got a draw out of that game and ever since he's been that creative spark whether it be um, playing on the on, on the left wing or playing in a 4-2-3-1 like he did against Peterborough but his energy um, his sort of drive to, to dribble through players or find decent passes and 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 to shoot it has been a breath of fresh air for me um some Blackpool fans haven't fought the same as I have, but I think he's been the catalyst for other players to become quite good. Sully Kaikai, for example, has benefited from his energy. Um, he's allowed to be a bit more free because Embleton does a lot more work and tracking back as well. And that's made Kaikai do the same thing. Um, he got a good goal against Gillingham, again, working with Kaikai. Kaikai is a really good assist for an easy tap-in, but overall he's like been a bit of a Jack Russell, but he's, he's, set, he's um, like in terms of his energy in, in that park in the final third. His crossing is brilliant, um, and but the only thing that lets him down recently is probably his decision making in the final third. I think last night he had a, he had a chance to to put someone in. He's, it's just a really poor pass, and you know the, the Akrington break. Um, but he's, he's definitely had a positive impact on us, and I'm surprised to see someone like Sunland let him go to us. To be honest with you, maybe they didn't see us as rivals at the time, but um, he would certainly be someone coming off the bench for you guys that would probably make a massive impact. It seems a bit of a a random move at the time and I think I, I've i got to hold my hands up and say I think a few times I've said um, Button's not impressed me when he has played but we're in that kind of weird position where I'm speaking to a Blackpool fan about one of our players that's been with us for three or four years and you probably know more about him than probably I do because you've seen him play a consistent run of games and um, where is he playing for you at the moment? Is he playing in the number 10 role or does he play on the wing? 
Yeah, so he played in when we play four two three one. He plays in that number ten position behind Jerry Yates, and the way we press, sort of Jerry comes back and everyone comes back. Um, but when we attack, obviously we attack as that front sort of four or five with with our centre midfielders pushing up as well. And yeah, he's so he's, in my opinion that's his best position recently when we played four four two. He's been on the wing. Um, cutting inside and, and try to create space that way but for me it's been most effective like when we're against Peterborough and um, he, he was he was brilliant for me and we won 3-1 um, and his probably next best game was Gillingham and that was in a 4-4-2 um, and but he did cut in quite a lot so he's clearly more comfortable coming in centrally but yeah those are the two positions he's played this season and he's had impacts in both. You mentioned the, the Peterborough game there I don't know if it's just because Sunderland fans paid more attention to it for obvious reasons at the time, uh, but he seems to he seemed to have like his best game for Blackpool at that point and, and really kind of brought Peterborough to the sword. Are we looking at that game with rose-tinted spectacles because it's a Sunderland player that was putting a promotion rival to the sword or was he really that good that game? I think we, I think coming as soon as it hit, well, as soon as it hit three-one and ten minutes to go, we know we don't concede too many at home, and I think we just took that game. In and we thought, wow, we really are promotion sort of contenders at, at that time. And we all said Embleton's been a big part of this win. And yeah, it was a, it was a really decent performance. But you've got to understand that, you know, Yates, Kai Kai, you know, Ward, um, you know, the centre backs. Um, even though we had two third, fourth choice centre backs that game, we all put a shift in, um, and to, to sort of go go in at half time, literally on the stroke of half time after concede, and then. We came out the second half and we all just attacked really well. And like I said, he was a vocal point up front and, you know, he was a, he was a really big, important factor in that game. So he had every right to say he had a good game because he did. I think he'll be a miss Saturday. I'm not sure what we're going to do now. Um, we have got players to come off the bench and do something. I think I know what we're going to do, um, which we'll come on to in a minute. But he, for me, he will certainly be a miss the fact he can't even have an impact off the bench. Looking at Sunderland's team and the players that were probably ahead of them at the moment on paper, obviously some of them, you don't know if they're going to be here because you've got um, Jordan Jones on the right, you've got McGeady on the left. Both of them could probably fit into a 10. Lyndon Gooch has played within a 10. Chris Maguire, not part of the squad, could probably fit in there and would probably edge ahead of him as well. But I think going into next season, regardless of what happens, I think Embleton has been pretty much told he's going to be part of something. We'll give him a two-year contract before we sent him to Blackpool. Um, I know it's difficult for you to judge Sunderland's squad when you don't watch them every week and the same way that's difficult for me to judge Blackpool when I don't watch them every week but if you were a betting man do you think Elliot Embleton can, can uh, contribute to Sunderland's team be it Championship or, or League One do you think he's got that kind of quality and potential? Uh, for, for sure he could he, he could contribute now um, you know I'm, I don't <laughs> I don't mean to bring it up but I'm sure last night you could probably done with something different and he will offer that to you um, that generally isn't me making making a jibe but sometimes you just think no, if sense. we had that if we had that player to come off the bench and do something different then you know why not be Eddie Embleton and he deserves a crack in the team for sure and I think he's just showing what he can do now I, don't, I wouldn't criticise Lee Johnson or Sunderland for letting him go purely on the fact that at the time you're not thinking about playing Eddie Embleton so why wouldn't you give him that experience so you know, if anything, releasing him alone is is made Sunderland realise potentially that he, is, he definitely does have a future and giving him that contract and that trust has probably allowed him to be a bit more free at Blackpool and, and show show what he can do. So is he championship level? I, I would probably have him in a Blackpool squad at championship level. I'm sure a few teams would, um, but he's, he's more than capable at League One. I, I wouldn't know what he's like at championship level because it is, as you know, just such a huge step step above League One. But 
you know, he's certainly a mid-table championship player for me, at least. So I can't even remember what the championship's like. It feels like it's been that long. We, <laughs> we kind of fell through it and then landed in League One. So I don't think I've actually realistically known the championship for about 15 years, which is which is weird considering I was brought up in the nationwide League Division One, as it was then called. Um, discussing memories and stuff like that when it comes to Blackpool, I was at Blackpool a couple of times. Um, I went in the Premiership year when Richardson scored twice, which people will remember. Um, and I also went there on New Year's Day when Josh Madger scored and then our season fell apart shortly afterwards. But the abiding memory of that day isn't the result and things like that, to be honest. It's the fact we had like 8,000 fans there. Um, great as a Sunderland fan, but really weird and kind of sad that going into the ground, we had these really like strong, lifelong Blackpool fans who refused to go in. They felt that strongly about the ownership. And it wasn't that hard to understand why, you know, the only I gave was one or two facts and it was like, yeah, that makes sense. And why they wanted Oyston out. Um, I spoke to Ben Hennigan uh, a couple of weeks back, who obviously played during that time. And he kind of explained the situation, how it was more Blackpool fans away from home. And he understood why it was happening. And But it was a weird situation. We might be used to having no fans now, but I suppose it would be even weirder having like a piddly amount of fans like it kind of was then. I think everyone felt for it. But can you talk me through a little bit of the process of how it's been since the Oysters have left, the new owners have come in and the feeling among the fan base, despite the fact that you can actually not physically get in to support the team at the moment, as you probably would? Um, I'd, I'd struggle to put into words how... How, just how emotional it was the day we found out that Simon Sadler had, I think it's 90, 96% um, hold of the club. And, you know, he, he's a Blackpool fan in the 80s and it, he loves the club. And enough for me, yes, football is a business and I'm not saying any fan should just take over, but if someone has a relation to the area, whether it be just a businessman in the area and they know Blackpool, um, it's just a breath of fresh air to... To um, to, to happen, and the you know he, he not only has he come in and, and made significant amount of signings, we've also released you know a lot of players. So it isn't just a case of he's coming in bankrolled the club and we've signed all these players, and now we're in the playoffs. You know, it's been a process that Critchley's been a part of as well. We obviously put Grayson in. You love Simon Grayson as much as I probably do this time around. Um, and and he was it was just woeful and you know Sadler wasn't scared to pull the cord on it and say you're not going to be the man for us you know probably gave him a reasonable contract at the time as well you know he had, he had an initial start you know it's fairly decent but I went to a few games and the football was just dire and there was no sort of sense of identity and, and he's <laughs> look he's put some trust into into Critchley at you know Liverpool um, youth coach and. I think we're after Carl Robertson at some point. And for me, I know he's a nice little topic for you at the moment. But the way he's been <laughs> acting recently has been a big baby, isn't it? So um, yes. he's still a half, you know, he's still a half decent manager. I'm not going to criticize him in terms of his managerial ability, but you know, he's clearly gone after to, to managers that he's not he's not scared to invest in. But you know, I'm really happy he's gone with Critchley and he's invested into technology, he's got local sponsors, he's got local businesses, he's had mental health businesses. I'm sorry, charities be involved in the club and it's just been a breath of fresh air. He's cleaned the stadium. You know, he's just done lots of different things, which has just made such a sensational impact at the club. You know, we, we now talk to fans a lot more. Um, he cares about the club. He was actually there last night, um, travelled down from Singapore, I think. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just been a revelation. And unless you're a Blackpool fan or you've really done your research into what happened, it was genuinely 
some of the worst years of, of Blackpool fans' lives. And, you know, people lost loved ones during that, um, during that, you know, the protest. And they still refused to go, even though, you know, uh, we just lost touch of it, all the Blackpool fans. And weirdly this year in the pandemic, um, although we can't go to games, we've been really together on social media. I said this on the third tier. I don't know how you feel as as a podcaster and a Sunderland fan or a Sunderland fans feel, but I almost feel more together with football fans this year than I ever have been just because we've kind of got to talk to each other and understand what's been going on. And we're all in the same position and we all want one thing really, but it, yeah, he, he, when fans come back, they'll show their appreciation. You know, no one really asked for their season ticket money back. We said, invest it back into the club because you've done so much for us. I think he's put, I'm probably wrong, but he put, I think he's put about five or six million in, into the club already. Um, and it's just made everyone a better, everything a better place. He didn't furlough any staff during the pandemic. He wanted to keep them on. You know, he's just a, from what I, from the outside looking in, a really lovable guy that loves the club and, and wants success. And I, and I think if he doesn't get success over the next couple of years with Critchley, he, he won't be scared to try something different because he wants the best for the Blackpool fans and the club. With the, I hate to take you back to it, but that year away, obviously before he came in with the Oysters, Sunderland fans have had bad ownership. Um, I think Ellis Short goes under that, and and this might be a controversial opinion. People might agree with me. I feel like um, Ellis Short didn't purposely be a bad owner. He just was. He just ended up making the wrong decisions, employing the wrong people, and making stupid decisions with stupid people by his side. I think the Oysters are a bit of a different kettle of fish. Um, especially towards the end. How frustrating was that, if you can put your mind back to that era in comparison to the kind of positivity that you've just sort of expressed there? How frustrating was that period? Yeah, probably, yeah, the longest sort of... If you if you just imagine, I know Southern fans still went, um, as far as I'm aware, there wasn't massive sort of protests like we showed. I know there was protests, don't get me wrong, um, but... Not at the same level. It was like Blackpool was like yeah yeah, um, but to 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 look at you know even I don't know if Black fans ever did but you know the odd times I look at highlights and there's literally a few hundred fans in the stadium although Oyston used to stay there was four or five thousand at the time, um, it, it was just. <laughs> It was just gutting, you know, what he did or what they did as a family, I don't think can, can be put into words. You know, not only did they sue their own fan base for telling the truth on on um, on message boards, they they pursued legal cases with with families that didn't have any money. They put fans out of business. You know, they they just they were just some vile family. And although they knew what we wanted, they continued to run the club. And, you know, because he saved us when we were in in, in the mire and He's a lifelong fan and he wanted us to, you know, he, he saved us, um, is his famous phrase. They were just, they didn't love the club because they would have sold the club. And it's difficult. I could sit here for two or three hours telling you sort of the ins and outs of what went on. But it was some of the hardest years of a of a Blackpool f- fan's lives. And, there's you know, there's better fans out there than myself. I don't live in Blackpool. You know, the season ticket holders had to give that up for five five and a half years. And, you know, and then we've been locked down and they can't go back again. Um, but you know, every respect to to Blackpool fans across the country, home and away, that that didn't attend and actually showed for many years, you know, that how much of a you know how much of a bad job they did and why they shouldn't be running football. And 
you know, shout out to all the Blackpool supporters trust and and the hard work that's gone into gone into getting the Oysters out, and 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 we're in better times now. But just to to summarise, just or to put into a few words, the hardest time of any Blackpool fans' lives supporting the club. With that protest that you have, I think a lot of the time, um, and I've definitely heard it within the Sunderland fan base, especially really recently with um, Stuart Donald and people thought certain things and thought we should protest and things like that. And, and there was sort of in a way across social media with the, the fanzines and stuff like that. And there was a big vocal amount of people that kind of said, well, you know, protests don't really work. And there's a few examples where you could say like Newcastle, for example, I don't mean to swear on the podcast, um, <laughs> but they've had many bed sheets out sometimes in my opinion, incorrectly, but that's by the by, uh, they will continue to do, they will continue to protest. And there's a lot of clubs that do it. It felt like, um, for a long time, no matter how much Blackpool protested, the Oysters were just like, nah, we're hanging on to it because we just want to be frustrating. Do you think that um, Blackpool's, uh, the fan base and the amount of time they protested and the strength they kind of put into that, that unity they found when they probably found it the hardest time to have that unity is proof that like fan power is bigger than any business, any owner and anything ever. Do you think that's kind of an example of why a fan base is still the most important thing. We shouldn't get concerned too much with businesses and owners and things like that because eventually the fans will win out. Um, yes and no. Every single club has a different situation and if it wasn't for a certain Mr. Bellacon, a Latvian, um, ironically a business owner who, who fell in love with the football club and when he took over, um, he said Blackpool will be in the Premier League in a certain amount of years, and we just laughed. Um, well, lo and behold, we did get there, and you know he invested a lot of money into the club to to sign players like Charlie Adam and help improve the stadium, etc. And it only came to him suing the Oysters and taking them to court for for you know for different reasons as to why the receivership etc. eventually came into play. So. If it wasn't for him, would we still be in the position where Oyston is the owner of our club? But I'm not sure whether he would have got bought out. And he said many times he would have sold the club. But who who knows? But you are right. You know, years after years after years, was anything going to change? You know, fans met with Oyston and he was like, what do you want? We would like for you to just fuck off, you know, enjoy you know, sell the club and let us enjoy our club again. Um, but he didn't, he didn't do it. Um, you know, so he was winding up fans come the end and Bellicon helped, helped us massively because, you know, if it wasn't for him putting the club into receivership or sorry, the, the court putting the club into receivership and then, you know, letting Sadler come in and, and sort everything out, you know, who knows how longer it would have taken. In regards to Critchley's appointment, it was, it feels like an age ago, um, like really a lot longer than it's actually been but I think it's been just over a year since he, he took charge of Blackpool yeah. um, he replaced obviously as you mentioned before the man, the myth, the, the flip chart Simon Grayson um, it took a while for him to put his imprint on it but what has he changed about the mentality with Blackpool in terms of the actual way you play and also the mentality that goes in with recruitment and stuff like that, What what's changed in the mentality to make you go from should we say mid-table fodder, a genuine promotion contender and one of the better sides in the league? Can I... I got asked to, <laughs> to write a piece on Blackpool's upturn and I, without trying to sort of annoy Blackpool fans, I genuinely believe it's when Calderwood came in because we were in a position where we weren't winning games and we, we were 
we were really poor. Like we, we lost against Wimbledon one nil, and yes, we should have scored a couple of goals, but we I, I struggled. I just needed that game to be over because watching us really hurt. Um, and you know, it was his early doors. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying. You know, it was the end of the world, but we got this appointment. We had a really good pre-season. Actually, pre-season probably put us into false pretense. We played Everton, we went 3-0 up. We played Liverpool, we went 2-0 up. You know, we played some decent sides and we were, we were scoring goals and we looked good. But, you know, we we were struggling. And then Coldwood came in and we started to look defensively a lot better. So they clearly started to work really well together and Coldwood given him that experience. But then Critchley sort of as you say, imprint started to come alive. So we signed a lot of young players. Initially, I think the pre-season signings weren't anywhere near as what we needed. For example, against Gillingham, only two players that won, um, played in the 4-1 win started at the, the first game of the season. So that just shows you how even since the start of the season, what an upturn in players we've had and how different the squad's looking. But the players is signed. There's There's been some key marquee signings. Um, Kenny Dougal came from Barnsley. Um, it was the last sign of the window and we just went, who's this? <laughs> like, who is this? Um, but Barnsley um, fans were actually frustrated that he left, or some Barnsley fans, and um, he changed our team. We went to 4-4-2 um, from 4-3-3. Um, and whether that's a colder would impact or Critchley wanted to try something different, but we two solid midfielders, you know, we started attacking a lot more and we were defensively much more assured when we signed Ballard, we signed Gretson from Iceland, Iceland. Um, and we were like, okay, that's a really random signing, um, but credit to the club because he's exceptional. He's absolutely incredible centre-back, um, championship level by country mile, and as is Ballard. Um, so that's that's been a key factor, you know, our defence. Um, midfield, you know, we've had Grant Ward recently come alive in the past past few couple of months. Him and Dougal worked really well. We signed Kevin Stewart, the old Liverpool player, was at Hull. Um, he came in for a spell before he got injured and, and just, again, you can see he was at championship level. And then Jerry Yates and Gary Medine at the time. Um, we had CJ Hamilton as well, who's out for the season. But Yates, as I wrote an article recently on him, scored 18 league goals. Um, four or five assists and his ability to win matches has been brilliant um, but him and Gary Medine initially we beat Peterborough and those two are a masterclass we started calling them York and Cole um, they started winning games together and defensively we weren't conceding I think it just all came together in every game we started to believe a little bit more and we've had some really poor performances and our, and our waveform actually cracks over the the, the position in, in in my opinion because we, our, our home form at the moment is it it's not diabolical, but it you know isn't playoff form. If we were poor away, we'd be in the bottom bottom half of the table. Um, so we should have won games. We should have probably lost games that we've won this season. I.e., you get your holes and your Portsmouths, but then we've drawn to to Plymouth, Wimbledon. We've lost to Wimbledon. You know, so it's, it's been it's been a mixed bag. But I don't know how to digress a little bit. But he he he's. Certainly a player, Chris Maxwell, our captain and goalkeeper, said, I've never worked under a manager that does so much research into every opponent before every single game. So every single game is completely different. You know, and if someone's played out of their skin one game, he's not scared to drop on the other game because he thinks what he wants to do in this game is different. So he's not scared to drop him. Um, so I've, I've liked him as a manager. He always talks really well. He thinks really well. And yeah, you're going to get this from most, I'm sure you've had it at Sunderland where you think, what is the manager doing at some point? Or why is he not made a sub? Or, But 
overall Critchley's had an incredible impact in his, as, as his management team. And we're starting to believe a lot more now. And when the players speak, we're starting to feel much more of a team now. So, you know, for him to be in his first job and after a year have this amount of impact that he's, the guy's clearly got talent. Um, so every credit to him, what he's tried to do, but signed young with a bit of experience, um, you know, and praise Jerry Yates for, for how many goals he scored this season because without those goals, you know, we'd be in trouble. Say about Jerry Yates, I think I try to watch as much League One football as I can, but sometimes, especially when something get beat, you kind of just switch off from everything. But I maybe watch more than your average point there, but not enough. Um, it's never enough, really, to, to no. judge a team. To so when you look over. at yeah, yeah, basically, you look at the you look at the statistics, and Jerry Yates stands out an absolute mile um, for obvious reasons because you look at the goal scorers, then you look at who's getting the assists. I think Sully Kakai had quite a good season last term as well, um, obviously with uh, Feeney, who's now departed. But is Jerry Yates 100% your key player or is there somebody else that you kind of think Sunderland fans should watch out for more? Um, a key player in terms of how he can win games, yes, absolutely. Um, there's been times, and a bit like last night, where he hasn't get he's trying to make stuff work so he, he drops deep and he goes really wide and he's much more impactful clearly when he's running at the defenders or when he gets in behind so yes in that in that sense and the impact this has on the team but for me I'm I'm more of a although I've like I said re recently written an article on Jerry Yates and just just why I love him so much and why I think he's one of the best strikers I've seen at Blackpool I really love a centre midfielder and a centre back so Dan Ballard and Gretson for me the key men in the fact that we don't concede many goals. Um, Dougal's been a revelation in midfield and Ward has just worked so hard in the centre making things tick over. Um, so yeah, I mean, Yates is a very key man, but it depends where you want to pick out and where Sunderland are weak. If Sunderland are weak in the centre, all of a sudden Dougal becomes, becomes a key man and you know, at the moment, if White's not scoring or so on and so forth, then your centre-backs become key to, to keep that going. So, you know, if it's a moment of magic and the H is your man, because some of the stuff he's done this season, I haven't seen, like I said, in a Blackpool shirt for many years. On the flip side, and it's probably a touchy subject, I've been asking, enjoying asking this question recently. I don't feel like I'm going through so much now, but you might cheer me up a little bit here. Um, it's always nice to get an opinion of another person's, another fan base, another person who's... Which players do you think could damage Blackpool from Sunderland's side on, on Saturday? Which players worry you? Uh, well, Hull fans will love me for this one, but <laughs> McGeady, um, you know, just purely on the basis of there's experience in abund abundance of experience there. And when we play against, uh, for example, Honeyman um, and and players like that, even um, I forgot his name now, Akron centre midfielder yesterday, when we play against a player that can control a game, even Joe Piggott at Wimbledon, every time he touched the ball, he caused us, you know, he could clearly see his intelligence. So when we've got an intelligent player like that on the pitch um, and he can create chances and score free kicks and set pieces are really good, you're always going to be very wary of them. Um, obviously got Jones, um, who I've really liked this season. Um, keepers, unreal. Um, so if anyone's going to stop Yates, you know, top, top clean sheets this season. So... Yeah, for me, the biggest worry for me is McGeady. If he's on form and he starts spraying passes and creating opportunities, then you're going to score goals. Um, it's just how quickly we, we, we adapt to the, the the game or if we start how we want to at home, then Sunderland could be in trouble. 
if we start like we did against Plymouth, you could be three 0 up at half time, and um, with with the quality you've got on the pitch, I'd like to ask the question like what's happened to White recently? Because um, because initially like uh, you know again there was a big fanfare for him, and on the third tier we were talking about him every week, and a bit like Vidane Oliver has gone through recently, where you just think is there a game where he's not going to score and have an impact? So McGeady and White just purely on the basis of they've stole a lot of headlines this season um, and Sanderson at the back as well um, big, big fan of you're looking to um, sign him permanently aren't you I would do anything to sign him permanently yeah. um, <laughs> sadly and, I, I don't think if we I think if we don't go up I don't think he deserves to stay at this level to be completely honest yeah I mean he, again I'm a big fan of centre-backs and he's certainly a modern day centre-back but also I've got the, the, the traits of a, of a you know, a classical centre defender as well. So an overall rounded player like that is, is a threat from not only set pieces at the, the other end, but if he's on form, then you're not scoring goals as well. So you've got a really good spine. I know your last two matches have really kicked you in the gut a bit, but ultimately the spine's there for you to kick on regardless whether that be in the playoffs or, you know, a mini run that puts you in second. I'm not sure, but... um yeah, so my question was about White, wasn't it? So, um, yeah, so what's happened to Charlie White recently? Well, he scored again. Uh, he scored yesterday, so it was nice to see him get off. But that was probably the only positive. Yeah. Um, Charlton, a, f- a few chances he missed, I think. I think he just going through that spell. It's it's a weird one with White because that the Charlie White missing chances was something we were really used to for two seasons. <laughs> then the Charlie White getting on the end of everything and bagging everything. Um, he was okay yesterday. He was one of the ones I could, in my opinion, that did an all right job. He, he should have scored against Charlton a couple of times, but now that he scored yesterday on the end of an Aidan McGeady cross, as always, um, hopefully he'll, he'll kick on because we need him in form. Because to be honest, we don't really score many goals outside of Charlie Wake. I think Ledbetter at defensive midfield is our, our second highest goal scorer, which has probably been analysed a lot more after the past week. Um, I've got a question for you before I ask for your prediction. Uh, you mentioned before about Hall fans um, and the Aidan McGeady strange dislike. Um, 442 said George Honeyman, but if you had a choice as a Blackpool fan, you had to take Aidan McGeady or George Honeyman, who would you take? Um, um. Something fans will find this dead interesting because Honeyman's such a Marmite player for us. I, I really liked him. Didn't love him. Liked him a lot. But he's very Marmite. If you play Honeyman on a day where he's top form, I'd probably, yeah, I'd probably have Honeyman. Oof, controversial, but it's fine. But if, <laughs> if, you play him on a, if you play him on a day where you just... And I'm sure, you know, same with McGeady. If you played him... I've watched him a few times this season and sometimes you think you are. They're both levels above, let's, let's put it that way. I don't want to annoy anyone on the podcast, clearly, but I think if if is I don't know, it's difficult. A League One, they're, they're both cheat codes, aren't they, to some extent? Um, because they're at that level of shouldn't be at League One, probably should be at the Championship or, you know, certainly somewhere in between at a very consistent level. Um, it depends what Aidan McGeady you get. I don't know, I haven't watched Sunderland a hell of a lot this season. Has there been sort of parts in the season where he's, he's been quite poor or has he been naturally quite consistent and the team around him has not performed? I, I th- I, oh, everyone's got their own opinion, but I think for me, McGeady, since he's come back in, has been our best player far and wide. He came in in 
December, I think he's on 13 assists. Um, and like I said before, I'm a, I'm a big George Honeyman fan, but when he was at Sunderland, he was so, so Marmite. I don't know if he's kicked on a lot more, but um, obviously he has, by the way, that he's rated, but he was very, very Marmite at Sunderland. I don't think there's many fans that would take Honeyman over McGeady, but it's it's how each fan base well, watches each Well, no, to be match. fair, no, no, like I said, they're both levels above. And if you look at McGeady's, you say 13 assists, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. He's done it in now... At the time when when I was looking, he's done it now in 27 or 28 games, whereas Honeyman and the rest of them has taken 33, 34. So if you're looking statistically, he's had a much bigger impact in a much shorter period of time. So um, you're talking, depends what kind of play you want as well. Definitely better at free kicks, definitely better set pieces. And yeah, ultimately, I think I've just talked myself into McGeady. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've talked you into McGeady. It's fine. Um, no, no, you're right. No, no. Genuinely, though, if you're looking at players that have an impact and can change games, a la Peterborough, and um, when you needed that moment, um, yeah, he, he, you know, he's been there for you, and he, like I said, he's been a better player in a much shorter period of time in terms of games played as well. So every credit to him. Um, I love him, bigger than McGee fan, which I think everyone knows. Um, so last but not least, uh, score prediction. I'll I'll go first. I've got one right this season. I've, I said would beat Charlton two one. I got that one wrong, obviously. Um, I am going to predict a defeat. Unfortunately, I've got that sneaky feeling it would be maybe not the most entertaining game. We might we're going to be better than we were on Tuesday, but I feel like we'll we'll be nicked. It's feeling like that. I think Sunderland fans are either madly positive like me or on a good run or just depressive <laughs> we get beat so I'm going to say 1-0 Blackpool okay um, if you look at our if you look at our home form we're 7th in the last 6 and we've drawn 4 and only 1-2 so you've got to put that into perspective a little bit the way we've played at home recently we've had some Plymouth we were 2-1 up until but they should have been at, potentially out of sight at half time so the fact we're at home I'm not overly confident although we do step up against teams such as Peterborough and, and potentially Sunderland so I've got to say a 2-2 draw just based on the fact that we can, we're can both going to create chances and score goals and we're at home and we we draw a hell of a lot at home so I mean our last 10 we've won 5 and drawn 5 and you know apart from Lincoln they've all come at home and we just haven't had that killer instinct and we, we showed that last night against Eccrington so I won't go for a loss undefeated streak continues with a, with a decent draw but I will say we'll win away if you want me to come on the preview show for that one <laughs> <laughs> um, and before I do let you go obviously I was lucky enough to be on the, the third tier pod making some terrible predictions literally about seven or eight <laughs> days ago saying we were going to win the league um, but if people want to catch up it's a great platform I, I like the the ability to, to speak to different fans obviously from different clubs as proven by the fact I enjoy doing the, the preview pod you obviously do that on a, a different platform where can we find you where can people listen to it if they haven't because it's quite a new platform but it's doing really well so where can we find it yeah it's been running for about seven weeks um we've had a few te- technical glitches in the past couple of weeks um but we were on youtube literally called the third tier and we're on twitter called the third tier underscore um twitter is where we've kicked off mainly just because um you know we've, we've done some giveaways initially all self-funded by myself just because it's been my dream to sort of have a League One as well. I've spent most of my time supporting Blackpool and the fan bases generally are amazing. That includes, you know, Southern fans, even though you're quite new to the league, despite you don't want to be here, but, you know, you've been really supportive, whether it be yourself or the Roker Report or other people, do you know what I mean? They've all, they've all been decent, but then you've got Swindon fans, you know, all these different clubs that have such quite big fan bases and 
you just meet some great people. So I decided to make one and Twitter is where it kicked off. And now we've got our own YouTube channel. So they're the two main platforms, but ultimately subscribe to the YouTube channel and help us grow that way. But I just enjoy it. I've done it for my own mental health and we've got two great guys with us. Um, ben Natman from Cods Vlogs. He's got more subscribers, maybe triple the actual Fleetwood team themselves. Um, and Jill's in the blood. Um, Matt, who's just what a top guy is yeah. run, runs a Gillingham fan page and vlog and it's just sound to worth and his knowledge is, is second to none. So both of those boys are the real brain behind the business and I just enjoy it basically. So yeah, feel free to subscribe and hopefully you like our content and, and what's coming out. So thanks for that. Awesome. Tom, thanks very much, mate. Appreciate it. You're most welcome.